So this morning we are continuing in our series of Revelations, and Sir John's going to come in a few moments and uh, speak to us from Revelation 14. But just before he does, uh, we want to read Revelation 14 together. So if you have a Bible, please um, open it. If you have a device, please open it. Stick it on airplane mode so you're not distracted. Uh, words will also be on the screen. So let's read Revelation 14. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the Lord and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark of its forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the, smoke of their torment, as, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and a seat seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle, and reap, for the hour to reap has come. For the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth 
and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Amen. Let me pray as John comes and speaks to us. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that we can 100% believe and depend and stand on it and build our lives on it. And so God, this morning now, as we hear from your word, will you give us the faith to believe it? Would you give us the minds to understand it? Would you give us ears to hear what you are saying to us personally? God, we thank you that you're a God who speaks personally to each of us. And so I pray that you will help us now to hear you speak. I pray that you'll help John as he teaches your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will guide and guard his mouth and his lips and his words. And I pray that he will know and feel your presence with him. So come now, Holy Spirit. Help us to hear. Help us to respond to whatever it is that you say to us today. I pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, Good to have you with us this morning here in Cornerstone Church. Uh, I know I do realize we have a lot of visitors with us this morning, and you're welcome. So I just want to catch you up uh, very, very quickly where we are. We've been doing a study in Revelation for the last few months. And so if you've come in today, you're a visitor, and you're uh, jumping into Revelation 14, and you're hearing about uh, all this doom and gloom, let me just reassure you, we've been here for a while, all right? We're not just doing that because you're here. Just let me put you at ease, all right? We've been, we've been working through the book of Revelation for some time now, so uh, we've, we've got to Revelation 14. And Revelation 14 really just tells us this reality. There are two types of people in the world. That is the reality of Revelation 14. There are two types of people in the world. And no, they are not United supporters and Liverpool supporters. Because uh, realistically, that is all there is, especially here in Northern Ireland. But that's not what we're talking about. The two types of people that we're talking about are those whose eyes have been opened to the glorious reality of the gospel in Christ or those whose eyes are still closed. Those whose eyes are still closed. That's what Revelation 14 tells us. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4. After saying that the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, he continues and says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And the reality is this, if you don't see Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible will tell us that you are blind. You're blind. To use the image that is used in today's text, you are drunk. So drunk that your vision is blurred and you can't see the one who is most beautiful in the universe. The most satisfying, the most delightful. Instead, when we don't see Jesus, we are delighting ourselves in something else. We are delighting ourselves in something else. 
You see, those who are blind to the beauty of Jesus delight themselves in either two ways. Some just delight themselves in pure evil. We don't need to look too far. We don't need to turn on our TVs for too long. We don't need to watch the news, listen to the news too long to see that there are those in our world who just delight themselves in evil. Murder, terrorism, drugs, violence, whatever it may be, they delight themselves in that. And then there are other folk who who delight themselves, who satisfy themselves in the joys of this world. Career, money, whatever you fill in the blank, whatever it may be. But no matter what we are delighting ourselves in, whether it be pure evil or, or the things of this world, both of those things shout to us, here's life. This is life. What you're doing is pursuing life. And if you stay on that track, the reality is, without Jesus, all we find is death. All we find is death. We think we're pursuing joy, and all we will find is death. And the first thing we see here from Revelation 14 is this stark contrast between these two types of people. We see them appear in verse 1 to uh, 5 here. This group of people who love Jesus, who are redeemed. The redeemed of the earth, the Scriptures tell us. And my first point, if you're taking notes today, is this. This group of people have found the surpassing joy of knowing Jesus. They have found the surpassing joy of knowing Jesus. Note the characteristics of God's people found in verses 1 here. They are on Mount Zion, which is the true Jerusalem, the city of God, the holy city. They are in the presence of Jesus himself, in the presence of the Lamb. They are called, if you remember, you've been with us for the study of of Revelation, they are the 144,000. And what we've said when we went back to Revelation, I think it's 7, what we said, this 144,000 were, 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 were symbolic of the redeemed people of God over the entire history of the world. That's who the 144,000 are. They have not taken the name of the beast, and they are following Jesus, and they are with Jesus. But what are they doing? What is this 144,000, this symbolic number for the redeemed people of all time, what are they doing? The ESV here, the version that we read from in Cornerstone, has made it a little more complicated, I think, than it needs to be. In an attempt to be clear, the ESV translates one Greek word into three different English words. But let me read it to you from a different translation, and it makes more sense. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The sound I heard the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed of the earth. What does John hear? He hears a sound. A sound. And what is that sound? That sound is the redeemed singing the praises of God. 
It is the redeemed singing the praises of God. These redeemed have been, become so much like those whose names are on their forehead. They are like, it tells us, they are like Him. And they are singing a new song. What does 144,000 do in the redeemed of all time? They are worshiping King Jesus. And they're singing a new song. And that, that new song, that, that term new song is significant. But we see that term new song throughout the Scriptures. We see it in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 40 is an example. I waited patiently on the Lord. He inclined to me and He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the Mary bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. When someone sings a new song in Scriptures, it is a song of rescuing. It is a song of deliverance. And what we have here is this 144,000, the redeemed of all time, singing this song of deliverance and rescue. They realize what they've been rescued from, and they are worshiping King Jesus. They're worshiping. Verses 4 and 4, or verses 4 and 5 describe these 144,000 with a few different statements. First, they are loyal to the Lamb. As often as the case in Scripture, loyalty is expressed in terms of fidelity. Time and time again, to be disloyal to God is likened to adultery. In the Old Testament, you see that quite a lot, where the Old Testament people of God go and worship another God, and God says it is adultery. Here, these 144,000 are described as pure. As pure. They are loyal. They follow Jesus wherever He goes. You see, the reality is, folks, the disciples we read about in the Gospels followed Jesus wherever He went. They left their nets and they followed Him. They left the tax booth, and they followed Him. Disciples must be willing to leave the life they know and go after Jesus. I want to ask us a question as a church this morning. Is that what we're doing? Are we actually following Jesus? and where He's going, and what He's doing. I wonder often, do we even ask the question and wait for an answer? Do we ask Jesus, where are you, where are you leading? Where are you going? Or are we just going through the motions of living life, ticking the boxes, the 144,000, the redeemed of all time, were loyal. They followed King Jesus. Second thing we're told is that they were redeemed. The redeemed of the earth. They're bought by King Jesus. Remember the song, the song they sang to the Lamb and the four living creatures and the 24 elders in, in, in chapter 5, verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased man from every tribe, language, people, and nation. 
And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. That price being the blood of Christ. Again, let me pause, ask, is that you? Have you been redeemed? Are you bought with a price? Do you know the reality of that? Do you know the reality of King Jesus laying down his life for you, loving you? So we have, they are loyal, they are redeemed, and they are like the Lamb. Thirdly, they are like the Lamb. They take on his character by his grace. They become blameless only through Christ. They become like Jesus. Folks, our redemption is proven by our loyalty and our likeness. Our redemption is proven by our loyalty and our likeness. If we are truly redeemed, we will be loyal to the Lamb. And if we are truly redeemed, we will be becoming like the Lamb. Ever slow as that may feel, and it is a slow step-by-step journey to become like Him, and we'll never be there until we see His face in glory, but are we ever increasingly becoming like Him? Our redemption is proven by our loyalty and our likeness. What do God's people do in these verses? In response to God's judgment to His enemies, they sing. They worship again. In stark contrast to the response of God's enemies in, 13, in chapter 13, 4, there God's enemy says, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? This beast seems to have some power, but God has the ultimate real power. The beast seems to offer some sort of temporary joy, but God gives eternal joy. This is the surpassing joy of knowing Jesus. We see this in the reality of the 144,000 worshiping Him. Worshiping Him. This is having the privilege of declaring God's worth with people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, from every age. What a glorious day that will be. What a glorious day that will be. The surpassing joy of knowing Jesus. As I say, there's a stark contrast between those who know the surpassing joy of knowing Christ Jesus and those who don't. Because what we have between verses 6 right through to the end of of the chapter is the judgment that those who don't know Jesus will face. And it is, it is a frightening passage of Scripture. Three angels fly overhead, making proclamations to God's enemies. Verses 12 and 13 relate the implications of these for God's people. And then 14 to 20 describe the reaping of the earth, God's judgment on His enemies. So what we have here, if you look briefly at the last section, if you've got got a Bible in front of you, look at verses 14 to 20 with me, the image. This image hardly needs any sort of explanation. 
But, but twice in verses 15 to 18, the angel is told to put a sickle to the earth. In the first case, the angel is reaping wheat or barley, right? The word translated, wheat or, and the word translated ripe means dried. Grain, I am no, trust me, and anybody that knows me will know, I am no horticultural or agricultural expert, right? I can hardly keep the artificial grass in the back garden right. Let's just, let's, let's be clear. And I have two, two livestock, two St. Bernard's. But I'm feeding them and keeping them alive is enough for me. I am no horticultural or agricultural expert. But I do know that if you were to put wheat or barley into a silo or whatever wet, what will it do? It will rot. If you put it in dry, it will remain good. Anybody out there, anybody would give me a nod I'm on the right track? Oh, look at all the boys from the town going, oh, yeah, you don't have a clue. Right. All these boys in office jobs are going, yeah, that's right, yeah, that's right, John, yeah. You don't have a notion, right? I think that's right. So if you put it in dry, it lasts. If you put it in wet, and what we see here is the wheat and the, and the barley is harvested dry. So it will remain. And a sickle is used to bring it in. Right. Now, the sickle is made for that purpose. Wheat is harvested well with a sickle. It is for that job. So what the point of the passage here is saying, that those who are redeemed will be brought in without harm, without ultimate harm, right? But in verse 18, another angel is told to use his sickle to harvest the world. This time, however, he is harvesting grapes. A sickle is not used for harvesting grapes. And again, I don't claim this as knowledge of my own. Trust me. I've done a wee bit of research this week on this. To best harvest grapes, you use a sharp knife, lest you damage the grapes. But here, the sickle is used to harvest the grapes because ultimately what is being shown is the destruction of those who do not know the Lamb. The destruction. They will be destroyed. What happens if you, if you, sickle, if you use a sickle to harvest grapes? You damage them. You destroy them. And that's what this is showing. It's a horrible, gory picture of the end of everyone who rejects Jesus Christ. Now remember, in response to this punishment that those who don't know Jesus will receive, those who are redeemed say, just and true are your ways. Just and true are your ways. And for us, this is hard. Because most of us, there's something in us that rebels against this. This is severe punishment. And what we think is really, is this just? Is this right? Now, 
Why do we think that? Because we think of loved ones who don't know Jesus. We think of mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, children who don't know Jesus. But the redeemed of the earth sing right, just, and true are your ways. Three angels speak to those who dwell on the earth again and in Revelation. This term is used to refer, those who dwell on the earth is used to refer to God's enemies. To those whose home is on the earth. And it's people from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. The second angel, in verse 8, says, Another angel, a second angel, following says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. What happens to people when they're drunk? What happens to people when they are aroused? In both cases, often they do things to harm themselves. Their physical vision may be blurred. Their moral vision may be blurred. In either case, they end up working their own destruction. They think, as I go back to the start, they think they are pursuing pleasure. They think they're pursuing joy. But that pleasure and joy will end in destruction, in death. And that's what Babylon, or the, the picture of Babylon in Revelation, is, is a metaphor for the world. We're surrounded by Babylon. Today we are surrounded by the world, and the world wants to lure us into thinking, if we have this, or if we have that, or if we pursue this, or if we pursue that, then I will be fulfilled, and then I will be right, and all will be well with the world. And we are becoming drunk on the world. We are, we're just drinking ourselves into a stupor in the world. What allures you? What is it? Because we all have something. We all have something. We all have, whether it be prestige, whether it be acceptance, whether it be whatever it may be, we all have something. What is alluring you to that? What is, what is asking you to drink of that today? The third angel takes this one step further by pronouncing doom on anyone who... who does not place or who does place hope in this world. If anyone worships the beast and has its image and receives a mark on its forehead or on its hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath poured out full strength into a cup of his anger and will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. God's enemies become drunk with the wine of the passion of Babylon. And having drunk of the wine of Babylon, they receive their just punishment, their just reward. The reality is, folks, we know this. 
We know it. I guarantee you every single person in this room has heard this verse before. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one person in this room that deserves God's grace. Not one. And yet He lavishes it on us gives it to us freely. This free gift of salvation is, is, is grace and grace alone. And it's there for anyone who would come to Him today. So what lessons can we learn from this passage? Well, there's a call. There's, a, there's at Verse 12 again gives us this call and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their, labor, their labors for their deeds follow them. There's again a call for endurance for the saints. Keep going. Keep going. Keep pressing in. Keep going after Jesus. Keep serving His people. Keep doing what you're doing. Endure. One of the main messages of, of Revelation is there will be persecution. You will be persecuted, but endure. Keep going. Don't be, don't be allured. Don't be stupefied by the wine of this world. Keep your head clear. Keep your head in the game and keep pressing on. Yes, we will have to put up with temporary pain sometimes to gain the deepest joy of all, which is being with Jesus forever. Keep going. Keep pressing in for the believer, for those who follow Jesus. But what about those who don't? What about those who don't follow Jesus? Folks, the reality is, from what we see in Revelation, the end result for those who don't follow Jesus is horrific. It is horrific. Let me just read to you what Revelation says. And another angel, the third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast on his image and receives a mark on his forehead and on his hand. Last week we explained what that meant, really. And let me just explain it again very quickly so we know that we're not... What that means, or what we, we're, what, what, how I'm interpreting it, is that anyone who goes after the things of this world and not Jesus. We're not looking for a, a physical mark. We're, not looking for, we're, we're looking for the mark of going after the world and not Jesus. If anyone worships the beast and has his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with the fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast. Folks, those are horrific words. Horrific. 
torturous words. And for us in here today, I have to say, like, for those of us who are believers, who, are, who, who would claim to love Jesus and, and claim to follow Jesus, if those words don't send us out today, proclaiming the gospel, telling everyone we meet the gospel, I don't know what will. Because our desire should be to make sure every single person that we come in contact with has a chance to respond to the gospel so that they do not face that. And for those of us in here today who don't know Jesus, who aren't following Jesus, I, all, I, all I can say to you is, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. No one wants that for you. And there's a way out. There is a way out, and that way out is King Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus came, died on a cross, gave himself for you so that you could escape that and be with him. The reality of this pool in front of me is that the reality of this pool and the people that will go through this pool today, the reality for them is that they have given their life to Jesus. They are washed in his blood and they have received new life in him. That's their reality. They can be secure in the knowledge that when they pass from this earth, they will be with Jesus. That's the reality of what we're doing here today. This is not, is a good opportunity to explain what we're doing. This is not some tradition. It is not some magic sort of like what will happen in the, in the water today is not some sort of magical event. Nothing. This is simply a demonstration, a proclamation that someone has received Jesus. And, and it's so symbolic in everything that we do. When they are in the water, when they go under the water, it's symbolic of being washed clean by the blood of Jesus. When we right and dying to dying the death of their own life. And when we bring them out of the water, it is symbolic of them coming to new life in Christ and signifying that one day that they would be raised with Him and be with Him forever. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel, what we're going to do. It is probably the best picture of the gospel that we have. Funny that, because Jesus gave it to us. You'd think He knew. Uh, but it is a beautiful picture of the gospel in its fullness. Let me ask you a question. Do you know Jesus? Are you saved? Whatever language you want to put on it, I don't, I don't really do well with language. But do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Are you worshiping Jesus? Will you be found with the 144,000, that symbolic number for the redeemed of all time? Will you be with them on the last day, worshiping King Jesus? Or will you be facing what we just read in Revelation 14? My prayer, my deepest prayer for you is that you will be one of the ones worshiping King Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, today we come to you, and this is a hard passage, Lord. This is, this is hard, but we want to be with the redeemed who say, just and true are your ways. Just and true are your ways. 
not what we think's right, not what we think we would do, but what you would do. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take this Word to our hearts, help us to understand it, and save today, Lord. Please save. We love you and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.